Welcome to the pod, episode two, Marin Lazic Podcast. Before we start, this pod is brought to you by TRX Training Sydney. We are doing everything online at the moment. We have TRX Epidemic Workouts and we have Kettlebell Epidemic Workouts. Uh, the workouts are structured and programmed via, uh, via movement. We're doing mobility, bit of core, strength, uh, not too much high-intensity stuff. We're trying to reduce inflammation during this crazy time. They said we'll get a heart rate up slightly, just get a circulation pumping through your body and getting your body stoked on just being healthy. Today's guest, Pumped. Uh, quite surreal to have Dan John on the pod today. I came across Dan during my uh, water polo career uh, when I was an athlete. Um, he was first one to sort of introduce me to goblet squat. Uh, he invented a goblet squat, and we discussed this in a in a pod. And goblet squat is something that's just changed the way I train. But not only that, it's how I train other people and coach. Um, it's a very simple exercise, but it's such an effective exercise. And that's probably what Dan is, in my opinion, the best at: is getting something quite complex and making it quite simple. Uh, in a pod as well, we talk about a kettlebell swing, something that's, you know, when I see it, you see so much wrong about kettlebell swings around in the parks. And I was lucky enough to get Dan to actually talk me through the swing. So we did this on a Zoom in a video. So I will post the video on the web so you can actually see it um, as well as hear it. But even just listening to it, you'll, you'll pick up some um, key points. We talk about a lot. So Dan's just an amazing guy and, um, you know, he has so much knowledge and we talk about life and it was a pleasure to talk to him. So let's get into it, listen to it and uh, enjoy this one. It was a really, really cool one. All right, Dan, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad this worked out so well, Marin. Uh, we, for those of you listening, um, he asked if we could do a podcast, and I told him that I'm under huge time restrictions in this last during these last few weeks. And it was kind of nice because it was like a good time was right now. So this is uh, we probably whipped this together in a, an hour, oh, probably. It was yeah, quick. So, and uh, for those of you listening, uh, he's from Sydney, Australia, and I'm here in uh, basically in Utah, the Western United States. And, we got a time zone situation here, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, Dan, for my audience that doesn't really know you, like, I mean, what's your background and how did you get into your craft? Well, I mean, it's a long story. I'm 63, so. But uh, basically, the most important things I've always thought was I'm the youngest of six kids, uh, military family, a very athletic family. And uh, I started lifting weights in 1965, and you heard that right. And uh, I fell in love with the barbell young. Uh, I liked it because it was progressive. I mean, it's so simple. Progressive resistance exercise. And what I liked about it, Marin, is that if you took it seriously, you got stronger than everybody else. Uh, it, wasn't, it was just that simple to me. And um, as in my athletic career here in the United States, I played American football. I wrestled. I played what we call soccer. The rest of the world calls football. Uh, and then uh, to improve my American football, uh, I read a book and 
this guy who became my hero through the discus. I started throwing the discus and uh, again, the discus, the more work I put into it, the more I won, even though I was usually the smallest kid because I was by far the youngest. I was the smallest and youngest, but by out thinking and out hustling my opponents, I could win. And really, that's the whole story right there. By out thinking and out hustling, I've been able to get ahead throughout my whole life. Uh, I went to Utah State University and threw the discus. I was the most valuable player. And then I started coaching in 1979. I was probably the first, it's hard to say yes or no on this, but I might've been the first American strength coach in track and field at the university level uh, in 79. And then I got a full-time job teaching. And really I was, I volunteered as a strength coach. I'm not sure I ever made money as a strength coach, probably until honestly made money, like money, money. I don't know. Uh, this sounds awful, but I'm not, this <laughs> folks don't do it the way I did. I, I don't, I think I lost money in, for the first 30 plus years of my coaching. And then recently with the books and stuff, you know, I, I do well, but uh, it's, it's interesting, but you know, that's kind of my story. Uh, it's very simple. A lot of volunteering, a lot of, a lot of helping out, you know, uh, the, you know, when someone, I don't, you can ask my wife, I don't think I've ever said no to somebody in my entire career. And the nice thing is uh, sometimes when someone, we have a, a little phrase on the gym wall, you know, I don't want problem finders. Any jackass can find problems and any, any idiot, gentle listener who's ever listening. You all know who I'm talking about. You know, the person who says, yeah, uh, here we got a lockdown where I live with the coronavirus. Someone who says something like, I'm having a hard time finding things because of the coronavirus. I'm going to slap you across the face. Well, yeah, no kidding. Uh, I like problem solvers. And one of the nice things about when someone says, like, in your own case, Marin, uh, you're, you're a water polo player. You know, how should I lift weights? Well, I've never worked with a water polo player who is from Serbia, New Zealand, and Australia. But and I have to talk on the phone or on Zoom to that's a good problem. And what it does by solving that problem, I'll sit back and go, you know, instead of wasting all of our time doing this, I could have simply done that. So whenever you solve one problem, oddly you solve, like you, you just seem to solve like 50 or 60 others. You mentioned just before we're talking about the goblet squat. You know, that was a classic example of me trying to solve a problem. When I was only working with a handful of athletes, I could spend weeks teaching them to back squat, front squat, overhead squat. But then all of a sudden, I looked around a room one day and I had 65 people had to teach the squat. And then and about two months later, I had 120 I had to teach the squat. Well, my toolkit needed to be fixed instantly. And that's, that's where the goblet squat comes in. And everything else in my career, usually, almost everything in my career has been a problem. Uh, I have a whole book called Can You Go? And, it, and really, it all comes from a personal trainer asking me, how do you sort out all these assessments? Because this trainer probably had 50 assessments. They were, but none of them, at the end of doing all those assessments, you know, there was this 
pile of information, but none of it said do this. And that's what, so I like that. That's my whole thing in life. Finding a problem, solving it, trying to make it simpler and better. And then let's move on from there. Let's find a new problem. Is that okay? No, that's great, Dan. And um, I mean, something that really kind of, how you caught my attention was essentially that goblet squat. I, um, you know, I was squatting, back squatting, and no one really showed me how to do it properly. So I was kind of making it up as a guy and that just caused a whole lot of problems. And it wasn't until I sort of, you know, discovered you and goblet squat and it was all better, all in one go. Uh, so it was, so you know. About the third time I, I taught the goblet squat to a big audience, okay, not a school or a team, but like at a cert, they gave me an hour and 20 minutes to teach squatting. At the end of the fourth minute, I asked the person running, I said, and everyone was at the bottom of a goblet squat, you know, elbows pushing those knees out. Per, they're all perfectly vertical and they're all doing this, looking around like, well, that was easy. And I apologized and I said, I didn't think, think it would take this long, four minutes. And I was embarrassed because it took that long. And that was my goal. That's always my goal. How can we get done the most efficient, the swiftest way? But thank you for mentioning that, Mary. No, and um, I think it's kind of fitting because obviously we're all in isolation now in a in a QT, as I call it, quarantine. Yeah. And a lot of people are sitting down a lot more than usual. Um, and it's something that I use the goblet squat before is their mobility, just a light kettlebell, just getting down his hips. You can't you can't cheat in the goblet squat. Like you can't. It keeps you honest. Uh, if you're not. Can I just my workout today? It's funny you say that. Is that uh, today we did a workout called Thirty Thirty for Thirty. So 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, and we pick six exercises. Well, the first one is simply hanging from a bar. And the second one was sitting at the bottom of the goblet squat, pushing your knees out with your elbows. And you just, you hang for 30 seconds, you rest for 30 seconds, you sit at the bottom of the goblet squats for 30 seconds. And I tell people, and I mean this, that you can do a million things for mobility and flexibility, but those two things, will probably be better than all the other nonsense you do. Yeah. And uh, it's so, yeah, it's, you're right. It's, so it's great for your mobility. You can get very strong doing it. it let's just say this, very strong in an appropriate rate movement. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and just for the audience, uh, for those that don't know what a goblet squat is, it's essentially just, would you say essentially just holding the kettlebell in front like a goblet and just squatting up and down. It's that simple. Any, any weight you have, pretend you're holding the holy. It was originally called the holy grail or the child. That was too goony. So just hold it like the holy grail in King Arthur and you squat down and you, when you go to the bottom, you take your elbows and you push your knees apart with it. And then you sit, boom, right in between your legs. Uh, I think my first published article on the goblet squat was 2001 or 2002. But Marin, the interesting thing is, after I published that article and called it the Goblet Squad, a few years later, somebody else invented it. That's that's a thing with fitness industry. It's, uh, it's a bit of a cowboy yeah. industry, they isn't it? A thousand thieves, yes. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's frustrating, but yeah, what can you do about it? Um, so Dan, obviously you've been around for a long time and, and you learned from obviously making mistakes and I'm sure having a fair few wins, but 
how would you summarize your philosophy? Like, is there, have you got like a philosophy that you yeah. follow? I call it my mission statement. Uh, I try, okay, let me give you the mission statement first, and then let me give you my coaching philosophy. Is that okay? Ah, perfect. Okay, so the mission statement, the thing, the overriding, now, by the way, we also have a family mission statement, which are three words, make a difference. So that's why I always say yes to podcasts. I answer every email I get sent because my, my personal mission in life is when I die, which I have many more yesterdays than tomorrow's. And so I want to make sure my impact on the planet Earth, I made some kind of difference. Okay. So make a difference. That's our family model. In, in training, the mission statement is this. Number one, the body is one piece. So if you have diarrhea, it's not a good day to back squat, okay? If you broke up with your, the love of your life, today is not a good day to have the national championships or the Olympic trials. Um, I call any, all the Lees. So it's emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, you're one piece. I hate it when people do Frankenstein's monsters and said, this is an upper body exercise. If you think the bench press is an upper body exercise, you're too stupid to train with me. Because if you're not, if you're, if you're not locked in with your feet, your knees, your inner thighs, and locked and loaded, you're not, it's, you're not gonna make it. Number two is I basically think there's three kinds of lifting. Uh, put weight over your head, pick it up off the ground, and then carry it for time or distance. That's if, if that's all you did, you'd have a pretty good program. Now, someone is going to raise their hand. What about lunges? Shut up. You know, I don't want to hear about lunges. I don't want to hear about your favorite exercise or equipment exercise. You know, what about the adductor machine? Shut up. If you put weights overhead, you pick them up off the ground, every way you can think of, and you pick them up and you carry them, you got it covered. And then number three is all training is complementary with an e not complementary with an i so if in your training you are doing wind sprints then there's gonna be no conditioning in the weight room with me because you take care of it out there uh, on the track or the pitch or the field depending where you're from um I, I my throwers never do rotational training because they're doing it out there uh one thing we would emphasize in the weight room maybe is some anti-rotation training just to make sure that you know you're because really what makes what makes a discus go far what makes a shot go far what makes the ball go far when you kick it isn't your rotation it's your anti-rotation your brakes the brakes the brakes yeah and now so that's my training philosophy okay and you don't have to go quick when you look at that you'll go well but dan you talk about the goblet squat you, right but all that, my goal is, if I could, if the goblet squat gets you, gets the job done, then we're not going to worry about this exercise, that exercise, and this exercise, because the body is one piece. If you're getting everything done, I can see in the background you have a TRX and a kettlebell. If those two pieces of equipment, that's it. That's all you have. But it gets you to the world championships and Olympic gold medal. You, you nailed it. You know, adding a leg curl machine in the corner there, I don't think that's going to be as beneficial, personally, okay? Now, you want my coaching philosophy real quick? Yes, please. Okay, it's, again, it's got to be three parts. It's always three parts with me. 
The first thing is you must invest wisely in asymmetrical risks. There's two sides of this, and it's interesting because we're sitting here, and I'm I am literally uh, I just got a note from our governor. I live in in the United States. We have the states, and the governors are like the leaders of every state, and we just had our our stay in place rule extended another two or three weeks. Okay. Well, before this happened, um, my wife and I had a fully stocked pantry. We had a fully stocked freezer. We have enough meat to make it through the entire thing. Even if it goes, we probably have a six month supply of meat just for the two of us. And by the way, not that we were hoarding. We just, we buy a, we buy uh, shares in a steer, you know, about once a year. Um, because asymmetrical risks are this, and this is the easy way for you to understand it. The easiest way. What could go wrong? Well, what could go wrong? Well, we could be shut down for a couple of months. So we have plenty of food. We're fine. Um, I tell my daughters every three years, buy new tires and a new battery for your car. Because what could, what's the worst that can happen if you're driving around? Well, a dead battery and a flat tire, at least normally. Are, well, you take care of those kinds of things. If you coach rugby, uh, you would know rugby okay, right? Yeah. So, so you have 100 boys on a field. What's the worst that can happen? One of them could die. You know, a big, massive blow to the head. Well, the second you start off with that sentence, you do less dumb things down. You, you talk to them about safety first. If you have 50 boys in your weight room, what's the worst that can happen? Well, a lot of things. So you just address the worst first. Number two, embrace the obvious. Throwers throw, jumpers jump, hurdlers hurdle, sprinters sprint, water polos play water polo, um, you just go down the line. What is the most obvious things we need to work on? If you want to get stronger, lift weights. If you want to get more flexible, stretch. If you want to get uh, mobility, you move around the joints. But there you go. It doesn't have to be voodoo. It doesn't have to be some religious thing. It doesn't have to be some psychopathic thing. Take, embrace the obvious first. You're thirsty, drink water. At meals, eat protein and vegetables. I mean, embrace the obvious. You're exhausted, sleep. I mean, now, it's hard to make money on any of that. Okay? And the third one is the hardest one for young people to get used to. And don't take that wrong, Mary. Um, if you respect the process, the results take care of themselves. And so, even though I write a lot about... Uh, in my, my writings, I, I write a lot about goals, but I don't believe in goal setting. Now, I, I think like in your case, you want to be on the Olympic team. That's a good goal. But the, let's just look at the process. You know, let's, you're going to get eight or nine, 10 hours of sleep, probably if you're a high level athlete, okay? If you can't get eight or nine, I want you to take a nap. Uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to eat protein and vegetables at every meal. You're probably going to have to have more two to five meals a day. Okay. Uh, you're to spend a lot of time as a water polo player. You're going to have to improve certain aspects of your swimming, certain aspects of, uh, are you a, a bilateral thrower? 
can you can you throw with both hands as a water polo player? Um, so generally you have a dominant hand. Uh, there are a few, we call them freaks, they can do both hands, but generally you're sort of dominant in one, one right. hand. So one of the things I would do for you is I would say, let's look at, let's look at the other side. You know, let's, you know, let's, let's, you know, I, I'm just saying. So what we would do is we would look at, okay, so you have this dominant hand. Let's, let's look at the other side in your training. Let's look at your team. What are the weaknesses? And you just build up. And if we deal with that every day, every week, every month, every year, every Olympic four years, the results will take care of themselves. Now, sometimes they're just, people are just better than you. Uh, as, as, as fast as I think I am, you know, the, I've been to Jamaica a couple of times. The Jamaicans are really, if you just watch someone walk down the street, you'll go, yeah, he's better than I am as a sprinter. When you watch a kid play soccer on the beach, you're like, yeah, I can see. Sprinting is a national sport. You're going to have a real hard time beating a Jamaican sprinter because that's kind of, it's their national sport. There's lots of great natural born sprinters. And you know what? I can get close, but maybe not that close. But if I respect the process, we get to where we need to be. So that's, that's my mission. That's, those are my two big things. Okay. Um, Dan, I love it. And uh, one of the things that kind of, I really like about you is you, you actually keep it quite simple and quite, um, you can apply your principles really easy. Um, mm-hmm. And you gave me quite a lot there. And, um, Question I got for you, um, uh, uh, I stole this of Dr. Peter Atia, and he talks about longevity. Yeah. And he sort of has this concept of like, if you were training for Olympics for 100-year-olds, what would your training look like? And I imagine your training probably wouldn't change too much if you were playing. 100-year-olds? Yeah. So it's Olympics, but you can only qualify if you're 100. Or he talks about... Um, he talks about... If, uh, if you want to play with your daughter's daughter, daughter, what would you have to do? You know, like, and he, and he sort of breaks it down. He's like, how would your training be different? And to me, you know, not to bag on the fitness industry, but, like, you know, the HIIT training is a really popular thing and people doing crazy stuff. And, you know, there's, there's a price to that as well. Um, and if you are training for Olympics for 100-year-olds, I'm not sure if I'll be doing that sort of stuff. And I, I imagine, like, like, your training probably wouldn't change too much if that was your goal. Marin, I appreciate that because my number one goal is to dance at my granddaughter Josephine's wedding. She's six years old. Yeah, that's and, amazing. Uh, people in my family, in fact, I talked to my sister today, we die young. And it's funny because my daughters, they always complain that I talk about my death a lot. Well, last summer, my brother died and um, still breaks my heart. I really like the guy, but we die young. If we don't die in America's wars, um, in my family, we die fairly young. And so for me to say, I want to be around 20 years from now, the statistics in my family are not good. My brother Rich turned 75 on April 1st. He's the oldest known person in my family on, on, on my father's side to make it that far. Uh, so we sorry. die young. So- but... What can I do? I, I sleep soundly every night. I eat eight different vegetables every day. I drink water. I try to have a real tapestry of life. I try to have a lot of friends. I try to be very helpful. In fact, I try to be very useful. 
so that when you email me said and you say do you want to do a podcast i'm like yeah because i want to meet you i want to be involved with you i want to make sure i have a reason to roll out of bed tomorrow morning and so yeah i i i like this i think this is we are really he is really on to something and i think i've gotten there in a different way but yeah that's absolutely absolutely a great point yeah yeah it's it's and you know, i got a little daughter and that's kind of my training and philosophies have kind of it's more longevity now versus let's have a six pack or whatever you know whatever how old your daughter she's four uh four going okay. going on 12. um so, so here's the nice thing you have about six or seven years to enjoy your daughter and then i suggest just moving out of the house for about three or four years just get a dog move into the dog house with the dog the two of you enjoy life come back when she's about 15 or 16. trust me on this one we laugh now i had two daughters uh they're two kelly and Lindsay are two years apart Whew. oh there's some tough years ahead of you my friend thanks uh, i was going to talk about fatherhood down the track as well so but thanks for a tip anyway it just honestly just get the biggest dog house you can get you know, put like two floors in there and just hide. No matter what you do for a couple of year period, you're wrong. So just get used to being wrong a lot. Okay. No, oh, I'm already, already, already know it. So she's oh, no. got me. She's so, got me. It's good now. You, you wait. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like I mean, do you think your training would change if that was your goal? Like, as in, what would you add something or take something out? Well, I mean. So today I threw, to warm up, I threw a medicine ball and did a mini band walk, about 20 minutes of medicine ball training, which is fun. We play catch, we throw it back and forth. And then I did 30 for 30 for 30, where I did, I, I did hangs, I did, I did hangs, deep goblet squats, hip thrust, uh, hip thrust, goblet, I'm throwing the order off, I'm sorry, uh, hangs, hip thrust, goblet squat, deficit deadlift, TRX curl, TRX tricep extensions. And I went through, I swam through that five times. This afternoon, I did a little bit of concept two rowing. And then um, I still, I still practiced the javelin and discus. So today I threw, I did some uh, ball throwing against the wall. Would I change anything? No, because to me, javelin throwing, I, I don't want to get all paleo, but Javelin throwing and going for long walks is probably the two most paleo things you can do. Am I right? Not totally. and I, yeah. So, and the fact that I enjoy throwing things, you know, makes me happy. Uh, I also did a sauna today. Uh, I'm going to go out with my daughter. Tonight, we're going to meet up at my daughter's house for, for stew and split pea soup. And so really, what would you change? Oh, no. I, you know, read good books and, you know, make love and, you know, enjoy life. Yeah. Beautiful. Now I think, um, and again, something that you taught me or made me think about was the loaded carries. Um, something I think about, we spoke about daughters. Um, and if I think about how I can help my clients or people that are listening, I think about their lifestyle first. So the problems, as you said, it's like they sit down too long. They don't go over the head because they don't hunt anymore or they don't throw javelin. So the, I think the throwing is so important for the shoulder health, but I think sometimes the loaded carries is like carrying the kid. Like, you know, like when you have a kid, it's like, Jesus, like it's only three kilos, but it's like, it's tough. Or something that, you know, like 
I think guys don't talk about is like when you getting off the ground. So, you know, I call them ground to standing exercises, which essentially could be a Turkish get up. Um, if you look up my, uh, go to my YouTube channel and type in get back up. It's a whole drill we use in warm-ups, yeah. I'll pull this in the notes for sure. And, uh, you know, like for dads, you know, like, I mean, mums get a lot of attention and they deserve it. But for dads, I think our training needs to change. And it's that ground to standing, loaded carries, and then, you know, overhead stuff because you're going to have to pick up your kid or play with it, hopefully. And it's really important for the longevity, I think. So, well, you know, you have the book, Never Let Go There. The story behind me learning, <gasps> wow, there's a great book, folks. I want to pay for my grandkids' education by the book. Uh, but on the cover there, you'll notice that my uh, if you look at my hands, so what happened is um, I broke this wrist in eight pieces at an Olympic lifting meet. And my doctor very clearly told me I would never lift weights again. It would be impossible for me to lift because I'd never be able to do that again. See that? Oh, wait, what? <laughs> Welcome to uh, Advanced uh, Rehab. And uh, if you look at the picture, you'll notice that my left hand, it, it's in a glove, but you'll notice that it's not grabbing anything. And the reason it's not grabbing anything, it's in a cast. And so what got me, so I was, it was 2002 and I, I was 45 and I was a really good Olympic lifter and discus thrower. And when my wife heard I couldn't compete anymore, she got very nervous because, uh, I'm kind of like a dog, you know, if I don't get my exercise, I start, you know, driving everybody crazy. So um, my friend, Mike Rosenberg, talked to me about loaded carries. And so I, I invented almost every loaded carry, you know, probably comes from my mind. If you've ever done a waiter's walk, I came up with that term, suitcase carry. Now, I didn't obviously not the farmer walk, but uh, I started doing bag carries. And you can see in the picture that I'm doing it like this because this hand is is not, I had to put a glove on it because it's so cold where I live, but it's, it's like this, you know? And what I noticed is in the next few seasons, I was doing Highland games and throwing the discus and people kept coming up and they do this. So what are you taking, man? What are, what are you on? And I'd go, well, I'm, I'm not, they go, what are you, how are you training? And I'd say, well, uh, you know, kilos or pounds, what's easier for you? Uh, kilos, please. Okay. So, uh, I pick up a 45 kilo bag, yeah? And I walk around with it. And then, well, then when I get tired, I put it down and then I put a sled and I drag a sled carrying a 45 kilo bag. No, not really. What are you doing? I just, I just, I just told you what I'm doing. Well, you're throwing really far. And then the stupid question I get, especially from the bodybuilder types, well, what muscle does that build? Well, next time you got a, ch a chance, put a 20 kilo bag on your backpack, carry a 45 kilo bag here and drag a sled, and then tell me what uh, muscle it builds after you're vomiting when you finish that. You know, go about, you know, anywhere from, try to do a total of 200 to 400 meters doing that, and then tell me what muscle it builds, and you'll go, you know, I'm never gonna think about muscles ever again, and think of, I'm gonna start thinking total body training. No, totally. And it, 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 I'm, I'm not sure who said this, but uh, sometimes as coaches, we get obsessed about things we can measure, but not things we can use. Um, and I think that loaded carry stuff and you, 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 know, like you can't really measure what load you're on doing this. And for viewers, 
Dan's carrying a massive bag in snow and car- uh, and dragging the sled with, I don't know how much weight, but we can't really measure that. Like, I can't really put down, because I can't replicate that with the friction and everything else, but it's way more useful than stuff that I could measure. We could be 100 lunges uh, or whatever. Um, and with water polo, you know, the argument is like, we can swim up and down a pool and I can measure that, but the most powerful thing with water polo is wrestling. Like I can't like that's what gets you tired and it's wrestling. It's not I can swim for days, but when a six foot four Croatian grabs me and I'm wrestling trying to get out of it and sprint away, that's stuff that really gets me tired, not two hundred meters and stuff. So uh that's why I love your philosophy and I guess what you know attracted me to your philosophies and my coaching as well, because of that sort of stuff. Thank you. That you you are you're a good student because you've ne- exactly you're right, because we do fall in love with these measurements, and you, you'll see this. You'll see this with combines. I don't know if you have those. It's sort of they're trying to do it. Yeah, it's it, they're a joke, and it's like you know, you know, we lean in as coaches sometimes, and they'll go, "Ah, oh, the guy's got a four two forty. Does this? this, He's got the X Y Z. He's got the nine twenty four. And and you'll lean forward and you'll go, "Yeah, but can he play? Yeah, totally. Oh, he's got the numbers. She's got the numbers." But you can't play when it comes. We call it United States nut cutting time. When it, you know, when it's, you know, when all the lights are in your face and it's just you at the free throw line. You know what kind of shot do you make? That's that's who I. Now he's got all he's got all the he's got all the the points. He's got all the the graph looks good on it. But when it comes down to it, what happens? You know, I remember getting, when I was a young thrower, I used to, I'd look at track and field news. It's this famous track and field magazine. And I'd look at about my opponents getting ready for these meets and they'd have all these big numbers. Well, you go to the meet and I'd beat them with a far inferior number. And I'd be like, well, they must've had a bad day. Then you find out that they had their big throws in these very friendly situations that were in perfect conditions for a discus thrower. Big winds, uh, dry ring. But the big meets are held in stadiums where there is no wind. And the pressure is so, you can taste the pressure. And you can watch people literally fall apart. And to me, that's, that's what I'm looking for when I coach people. I want somebody who can, and that's why I'm such a big fan of people who've done things like, um, uh, music or singing or debate where they uh, speeches where they stood up in front of a group and had to you know do something and those athletes the, the the athletes with the music or performance background very often got bigger under the spotlights versus smaller uh i, I don't know how well you know america but we have a thing called broadway in new york city where they have uh you know, it's musical theater. And because my brother-in-law, his wife is a very famous musical, she's a very famous actress. And I've had a chance to meet some very famous people. And the question I always ask him is, how do you, do you, do you see the same thing? People getting bigger when the, when, you know, when those curtains go out, some people shrink. I'm looking for someone who gets bigger. And when they call your name, Marin, do you get bigger or do you shrink? And you cannot measure that with a with a sprint test or a squat test. Yeah, so that's that is a great point. 
there's um there's a case study uh, with um, it was Usain Bolt versus um, I want to say his Jamaican teammate uh, forget his name but anyway Usain Bolt's got all the gold medals uh, yeah. but he's got the least amount of um, world record broken. Um, so anyway, this guy, I think it was gay, or I can't remember who, I, I, I should have done yeah. a bit more research, but but they've done a case study. Every time he ran against Usain Bolt, he just shut down. Every time Usain Bolt was next to him, he shut down. Every time Usain Bolt was in the race, he broke the world record. And it was just interesting, the whole psychology, and, it, and they'd done a sort of case study, seeing him run um, without Usain next to him, and his face is all relaxed, and... You know, he's, 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 he's just looks so loose and fast. But when he's next to Usain, he actually has got a better start than him. He actually is winning the first 20 metres, but he just freezes. All of a sudden, just... And his face is, like, all frozen up. And it's... Uh, on the big stage, he just couldn't perform. And listening to you, I think of Conor McGregor. And I guess he's uh, um, closest to Muhammad Ali. You know, and Conor, is very talented, but he just rises to the occasion to do what he does and... Um, yeah, I guess it's very similar to With what you said. With the coronavirus, I watched the, uh, they've been showing classic fights on TV. And I watched the famous Ali Foreman fight. Now, Foreman was a far better fighter, knockout punch with both hands. And Ali wins. He just, and it's because you can see Foreman, you can see, and during the fight, he's landing the plane. He probably won the fight. Two nights ahead of time, he won the fight. But under those spotlights, under that humidity and heat, you know, at Ali, you can just see him rising to the occasion. And you're going to ask how you coach that. Now, I have a book called Now What? <coughs> now What? By, uh, and one of the things I talk about is actually training those things. So if I was going to work with a sprinter who was failing, we would talk about it on day one. Now, they hate it. You know, when I work with major league teams, uh, professional sports, one of the things I bring up almost instantly is, who? I mean, who do you guys fall apart against? And it's funny, they're like, ah, we can take on anybody. And then they'll lean forward. But I tell you who has our number. You ever heard, I don't know if that's a phrase used in Australia, but these guys have our number. Yeah, yeah no, totally. And it's who you fail against. Who do you fail against? Um, I have act. This is where I think my biggest impact has been in sports. It's not goblet squats and and, and loaded carries. Though I, I think that's really made a difference. It's just raising the question: who who gets inside your head? Who gets inside your, you know, who who just grabs you by the junk and just tag the, pulls you around? Um, you know, my my friend Bill Witt was talking about. We had this thing one time where this guy challenged me to something. And I was tired and I was exhausted. And uh, it was a bet. And uh, this very, very good thrower, we used the women's discus. And he said, he was better, better thrower than me. And he knew I was in a bad situation because uh, I was coaching at this camp. And I was exhausted. And while I get in the ring and Bill said he could see me, he could see, a, he could see me. Something I hate to say call it physical, but there was something where I just oh okay. Okay, you might beat me, 
but you're going to have to have a good day to beat me. So I threw the women's discus in bad conditions, like 243 feet. And the guy goes, oop, I pulled my hamstring. Because <laughs> he knew he, uh, so I beat him simply because I, I knew the toolkit to rise up. And I think you mentioned it at the start when I was asked you about um, uh, your mission statements and philosophies about, you know, if you break up, with your partner you, you don't go compete and sometimes as coaches we forget that humans are we're emotional beings so we're affected by emotions and us you know going back to the measuring part like i think sometimes in good coaches versus bad coaches they try to um improve biology through physics and i think what i mean by that is like well you know you can create this program that's going to be increasing and put on five kilos each session and stuff but if someone breaks down with a missus or I don't know, has something bad, well, it's just impossible for them to show up. And uh, for me, then, I mentioned before, I got dropped from national team and, um, you know, two weeks before world, world champs. And I remember going, you know, having my sort of s- sorry party, but I remember going back to training for my club. And um, uh, I usually used to lead the swim sets and I, I just couldn't do warm up times. I literally could not do warm up times. And I remember just breaking down on the end of the pool and my captain at the time sort of pulled me aside and said what's wrong and I said I can't do this and he just said oh you're stressed you know you don't get unfit in two days you know mm-hmm. and he sent me home and that kind of really clicked in me and it was a lesson for me to uh, learn how stress affects your performance and emotional stress yeah. um, so it's, it's so awesome. much more than people think so it's, it's so much bigger and that's why I hate these programs. You know, was it Van, Von Clausewitz, the, the great uh, Prussian general, he said, all, plan, all plans break in the fog of war. You know, um, every, everyone's got a great plan until bullets start flying. And then everything changes. And uh, I, that's, that's why I spent, you know, I used to worry so much about like people ask me for programs and things like that, periodization. I don't believe in periodization anymore. I barely believe in programs because what happens is, is that if you do look at a holistic look at the human person, um, one of the best things I know an athlete can do is retire, quit. I don't want to see you for six months. I don't want to see you for a year. They'll come back and in their first session in the discus, throw 90% of their lifetime best with no weightlifting, no work at all, because by quitting sometimes, it cleans out, it, you know, I hate to compare our brain to a computer because we are different, but it cleans out, your brain cleans out all the nonsense and you get back to where you used to be. One of the great insights in, in American throwing was one of our national coaches retired and came back a few months later and is on a lark, picked up his implement and threw it. And he realized that he kept trying to have this Soviet top down model of training. You will hit this place and then you will do this and then you'll do this and then you'll do this and then the program works. And we all know who've been around, that's bullshit. It doesn't work. You cannot plan a world record. Uh, I've been at, I have talked to the world record holder in the shop, put discus and hammer. And all of them have stories. And I call it the hangover rule. 
One of the best ways to get ready for a world record is to get as drunk as you possibly can the night before. In one case, throw up on rose bushes as you enter the stadium because you're so hungover and have no expectations. And all of a sudden, your first warm-up goes, well, that's better than I thought it would be. Your second warm-up, you know, that was actually not so bad. And then before you know it, you snap out the world record. And I, and I talk about this. Now, you can't do that with a high jump because you know what the mark's going to be, right? Uh, the long jump world record that was held for so long by Bob Beeman, everyone talks about it being an absolute fluke. It, the fact it was such a fluke, there's almost no film on it because it was just, it just happens. And so someone's going to raise their hand and say, well, how did you plot the world record? Well, what I did was we trained for a couple months and we got Marin as drunk as he possibly could. He threw up in the gutter of the pool and then had his best performance of life. And, and people lean over and go, wait, that's stupid. Yeah, I know it's stupid, but that's the way the human performance performs. Uh, and that's why it's so difficult when I talk to young coaches who will show up with these spreadsheets of training programs that will have you at the world record in six months. It, all you gotta do is, okay, today we're gonna snatch 100 kilos, Wednesday, 105, Friday, 110, Next Monday, 115, 120, 125. And according to the spreadsheet, you'll be snatching 230 kilos at the end of, do you think that's going to work, Marin? We'll be all Olympians then. Uh, you would have to be pretty. <laughs> and, and then, of course, my job as a coach is, well, you didn't follow the program. You know, six weeks after I taught you, you were supposed to be snatching 200 kilos, and you're only snatching 60. Ah, you didn't follow the program. Uh, totally. Um, Dan, uh, we live in this unfortunate or situation of health pandemic. Um, and a lot of people are spending a lot of time at home, probably sitting down more. Um, what would you suggest? And I, I, I think it was your podcast, you spoke about a 10,000 um, swings. And what yeah, would you suggest as a yeah. program? And I know in the podcast, you sort of spoke about tweaking it. Um, can you kind of run us to what would you suggest for people to do at home um, that's a bit smarter and simple? Well, can I sell some product right now? Yeah, so for sure. Go for it. I got a website called Dan John University, danjohnuniversity.com. And as long as this thing is going on, we're going to hold uh, it's a special. And I would love to give it away for free, the whole website, but we have to, I've got expenses, okay? So if you type in the word Corona, Corona, it's $29 American for three months. And as long as this thing's happening and you can go in there and you can get, I would suggest for most of your listeners, go to what's called the, the, the workout generator. And what you're going to do is you're going to press the buttons on what equipment you have around your home. So looking behind you, I see a TRX, I see a kettlebell. Are those are those dumbbells or play? Oh, medicine balls. Mess the dead balls. Dead balls. Okay. So we have those three options. And then you tell me how many days you want to work out, how intense you want them to be. And then you press a button. And if you said seven days a week, it goes boom. And it gives you seven workouts to do. And you can go in there. And if, if this exercise is too complicated, you can regress it. So it says jumping goblet squats, too complex 
you regress it down to air squats or TRX squats or med ball squats. With the 10,000 swing challenge, I have an article coming out. I thought it was going to be published today, but T-Nation, Testosterone Nation, is going to have the updated article on this. I thought today, but maybe soon. So just type my name, Dan John, and then 10,000 swings, and you will find more information than you'll ever imagine on Google. I mean, it... According to T-Nation, it was the largest discussed, I'm very proud of one quick thing, okay? The largest discussed article in the history of Testosterone Nation is the 10,000 Swing Challenge. The largest forum discussion they've ever had was when I did the Velocity Diet, which is six proteins, I, I talk about it, never let go, six protein shakes a day. Those are, I'm very proud of the fact that this bodybuilding, it's kind of designed for 18 to 22 year olds, but the biggest things they've ever had in that site is what a 63-year-old guy in Murray, Utah was doing. Makes me very proud. I'll um I'll put it all in the show notes as well as well. So I'll okay. um, uh, so and make sure can... you send me uh, a link for this, and I'll make sure I get this in all my. For well, sure, thank you. Um, so then, um, I guess one thing I observed, and you know, it's really easy to be negative right now, and 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 I don't want to do that. I want to be very positive. Yeah. But one of the things, it's also interesting time to is just sit back and observe. So I noticed a lot more people are running, um, which, yeah. you know, go oh, on. About my window, every every few minutes, someone's walking by, and the, my, my neighbor across the street who's really struggling with cancer, I saw her work, walking down the street today. Yeah. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of positives out of this as well. Um, but also, I know there's going to be a lot of people going on YouTube and trying to do kettlebell swings because they'll see your blog and they'll see the 10,000. Yeah, don't go to YouTube. Go to my YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah. So – and I guess, as we both know, like uh, we, when you start learning stuff of YouTube, you don't see the the little things. You don't get coached, and 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 there's a very high risk of injury. And um, so I guess this is a big question. But what are sort of the common faults that you see with a kettlebell swing in general, and what would be kind of common ways to fix it if I choose to do a kettlebell swing at home now by myself? It starts from the very start. I mean, the very beginning uh, when you uh, address the kettlebell you should be in a hinge position. So the kettlebell should be, if the kettlebell, would you mind walking over your kettlebell for me? Yeah, sure. Can you hear me? Oh, well, that's it right there. So put the weight on the ground. Now move your feet back about two feet, uh, maybe more. Now hinge. No, no, hinge. Push your butt back to that, to the TRX. There you go. Do you feel your hamstring stretching? And to light it up. Good. Now reach forward with your fingertips and touch the bell. Now bring the bell uh, to about a 45 degree angle towards you. Correct. There. Look at me. Look at me. Ah, good. So keep your eyes on the horizon. Put all the load into your hips. And as you start your first, you're going to push your butt back which is going to bring the bell and you're going to bring the bell right into your testicles. I would suggest not hitting them. So stop there, come back and then just stop, stand up and then turn either direction, uh, 90 degrees. And now put your hands up at vertical uh, at, uh, there. Now squeeze your abs as hard as you can. Bring the top, the top of your head to the top of the ceiling, to the ceiling. Yeah. So most people do this, but you're right. 
So squeeze your hands together, squeeze your abs. That's as high as you should ever get it. You probably, if it's heavier, a little bit lower with your hands, maybe just an inch lower. That's about as high as you'll ever swing a heavy kettlebell. And when you get to that point here, you want to, do you know what a push-up position plank is? At the top of a push-up, you, you, yes. So the push-up position plank is the finish of a kettlebell swing. And there's only two things you do in a kettlebell swing. Hinge, plank, hinge, plank, hinge, plank. And that's it. Beautiful. Now I'll, uh, I'll make this video as well. And, um, I'll look for the video of the, you, and maybe if you can send me the video of your coaching this as well, I'll put in the links as well. Oh, but. It's on, just go to my YouTube site. Cool. Perfect. I'll put it in the link. Um, I think it's Coach Dan John. I don't, I don't know. My job, I just load stuff up. I I'll, don't actually. I'll do it. research, but I think what you just yeah. said, and, and I think what I see the most is uh, people doing swings. It's almost like a squat with a front race. Oh, so we're um, no, I don't, don't want to hear it. Yeah. Stop. But I just want to make a point, like even you put me in a position, I could feel my hamstrings fire up. I could feel ready to explode, load to explode, essentially. So What I want the day after you work out with me is I want your hamstrings to kill you. I want them to really bother you. If your hamstrings hurt, well, let's do it this way. If your lower back hurts, you weren't listening to me. If your hamstrings hurt, I'm a great coach, okay? So the swing is a hinge. The squat is a squat. And if you combine those two, get out of my gym. You're too stupid to talk to. Okay. Cool. Goblet squats and hinges are probably all, you know, really, I have a ton of workouts. Uh, if you type in my name, uh, you'll find uh, on my website, danjohn.net. I have a thing called the Coyote Point Kettlebell Club. It's a free PDF, 52 pages. Uh, it's also, if you folks, if you start going to my stuff, you better have a lot of paper because I have literally... If I said three to 4,000 pages of free information on my website, that's not exaggeration. And the Coyote Point Kettlebell Club is a free 52-page PDF workout, okay? Everything you want. So one of my favorite workouts, Dan Martin called the Humane Burpee. It's 15 swings, 10 gobble squats, 10 push-ups. Uh, do you call them press-ups or push-ups? Push-ups. Okay. Followed by 15 swings, Nine gobble squats, nine push-ups. Fifteen swings, eight gobble squats, eight push-ups. And you know where this is going. You're going to go 15, 10, 10, 9, 9, 8, 8, 7, 7, 6, 6. I'll tell you, the hardest one is seven. Seven sucks. After seven, it's not so bad. Because when you're at seven, you're like, oh, my God, that's still a lot of reps. Because you're all gung-ho at 10 and 9. Eight's like, huh, my heart's starting to hurt me. Seven is just like a... Once you get the five, four, three, two, one, you'll love it. Okay. Yeah. Well, you won't love it, but so at the, that workout's 150 swings, 55 gobble squats and 55 push-ups. If you do that as a gentleman with the 24 ladies with the 12. Um, and if you raise your hand after that and say, what else are we doing? You're a better man than I. <laughs> um, on programming and trying to help people through this tough time. Um, one of the things I also liked and that you've done with Pavel was the easy strength. The, um, the That's book. a whole different thing, but go yeah. ahead. Yeah. But um, I think on your blog, you, you sort of even minimize that. So it's a 40 day program and I think it's called on your blog, even easier strength. Uh, even easier strength. Yeah. 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 W would you recommend that during this time? I mean, it's more of a strength protocol, but 
Um, well, the only issue is, okay, okay, real quick, if you're going to do that, yep. then you should do a vertical press, a vertical pull, which is the pull-up, pull yeah. a form of deadlift. And I would recommend for most of your listeners, a rack deadlift or a trap bar deadlift. I would not recommend from the ground. And then the, I don't know if you know what an ab wheel is. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, ab, the yeah. ab wheel. And the fifth exercise, listen, for most of your listeners, some kind of loaded carry. Yep. So press, pull up, deadlift, ab wheel, loaded carry. On the loaded carries, do something different every single day if you can. Yep. With the press, the pull up, and the deadlift, you want to use what we call the rule of 10, either five sets of two, two sets of five, three sets of three, which most people find to be the best. So if you're doing presses, one, two, three, three times. Pull-ups, five sets of two if you can't do three. One, two, one, two, one, two. With the deadlifts, three sets of three. One, two, three, down. And the hardest thing is never miss. Oh, and on the ab wheel, either one set of 10 or two sets of five. That's it. It's five days a week for eight weeks. And you never want to miss. You never want to get close to missing. And your job is to come back every day. If the weights feel light, add more weight. Mm. And that's the most difficult part by far, Marin. Um, you need a fair amount of experience to know what a weight feels light. For me, I start off uh, doing it, say, like 75 kilos on a press. Within about a couple of workouts, that felt like it was just bouncing off my chest. So I jumped to 85. Well, that's easy. A couple of weeks later, it was 95. Pretty soon, well, I got my lifetime best lifts on about day 22 in my case. And not one time did I ever stress or even get close to missing. So I always explain strength and flexibility like this. It's like learning to type, okay? If I sit down next to you the first day you're typing and get, make you type to exhaustion, you're never gonna be a very good typist. But if you type every day for a couple of years, pretty soon you type very fast. So strength and flexibility are all about the nervous system. And once you hit a certain level of load, you get what we call the hormonal cascade. And out of nowhere, uh, your body gets bigger, uh, more ripped, good things happen. And that's the, that's the correct order of training teach the nervous system, and then let the hormonal cascade, as Rob Wolf's term, happen. Most people try to force it. They, they take a stick and beat, try to beat the person into adaption. But the truth is, and think about typing, always think about typing or playing a musical instrument. Your adaption comes from the repetitions, the practice, the insights. And every so often, in my case, for example, out of nowhere, I would have this great leap forward. But I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what day that was going to happen. In the same way, if you learn the guitar, one day all of a sudden you're just like better. You're just flat out better. And it wasn't because you forced it. It's because you allowed it to happen. Uh, you remind me of two things. One is a Bruce Lee quote, uh, consistency over intensity. Um, and... Another thing is like what you said, typing, surfing. I, I, I like so Australians love the surfing. Yeah. You can't force surfing. You can't fight ocean. 
You know, you got to get in the flow. You got to respect it. And then all of a sudden, oh, guess what? Like, I'm with this ocean. I'm with this thing. Like, I'm I'm with the flow. Like, you know, you can't muscle the ocean. You can't muscle the surfing. You just got to. Yeah, I'm gonna steal that from you. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. steal that. That's exact ex- exactly it. And in the weights, you, I, if all you can deadlift is a hundred kilos, and I put three hundred on the bar, I can't force you to make it. But if we just keep doing what we're doing, one day maybe under comp, maybe under competition or some kind of thing, you'll pop that three hundred kilo deadlift. But you can't always force it. You can't always plan it. And I always tell people it's actually a lot like love. You know, I don't know where you are in your life with love, but I guarantee. I mean, did you plan? Are you, are you in a relationship right now? No, no, I'm single. Single. But, you know, like my wife and I, uh, the joke is I basically had sworn off women. I was so tired of dating. And uh, my assistant coach was getting set up with this girl, and he begged me to go to this party because he was nervous. Well, I go to the party, and lo and behold, the girl is getting set up with Tiffany, my wife of 32 years. I didn't plan that. In fact, that was the exact opposite. I didn't want to go. And to me, that's actually how strength happens. Uh, that's how strength happens. You just, you don't necessarily plan. I mean, you certainly can plan for a weightlifting meet. You can certainly progress to a weightlifting meet. But most of the time, these weird bumps happen out of nowhere. Totally. It's about being ready, eh? Um, yeah. Dan. Uh, I know you have to have a dinner with your family and I don't want to yeah. take the way. And honestly, I feel I can talk forever. Um, do you want to do this again? I would love to do this again. And I got, <laughs> um, for listeners, I sent Dan a massive list of uh, questions and he wasn't very happy with me. So um, No, I wasn't. I just went, oh my God, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> so we might have to go again because um, I still want to, I would love to talk about recovery. Um, yeah, I'd love to, that means so much I want to ask you. Uh, sure. especially the experience uh, yeah let's do it uh, but yeah. thank you so much honestly I'm so grateful to have this opportunity and learn and most importantly pass on some tips for people that are you know locked up inside and we live in such a strange time and as I said earlier it can be so negative right now but to me there's so much opportunity uh, to get healthier on the show notes be sure for these guys you put in the Dan John University with Corona all caps as as that gift and folks i'm sorry i give it to you for free but i have i have people who i hired to do this stuff and they're not let's just say not all necessarily pleased that i made them do this so and, we'll just go and then if people are not in financial positions to do it there's so much uh content out there as well to do it so okay, okay there's danjohn.net which is free about three thousand pages of free information the new stuff is danjohnuniversity.com. Uh, and if you've got a listener who simply can't afford it, you have them email me. Or have them email you. You let me know, and I'll give them a free uh, – uh, let them on the website for free. Uh, okay? And then, like um, as I said, I said to my clients and my friends, there's no better time than ever to be healthier and to kind of be socialists, help each other out. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, we're going through a bit of a storm. It won't be forever, but um, I think health and relationships are really important right now. So, yeah. the far right in the United States is completely against socialism until this happened, and now the far right are the most socialist people I've ever met in my life. When it's you, all of a sudden the government's important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, 
we'll learn a lot from this let's uh let's do this again in about two weeks okay we'll love to i'll hit you up i'll 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 hit you up an email to get some more notes and um thank you very much dan i really appreciate it enjoy your dinner i will take the bye-bye